Financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year. And then the inflation data came out, higher than expected. Friends, this isn't going away. It can't. The U.S. is $34 trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Text STRANGE to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation with gold. Text STRANGE to 989898 now. What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, occult symbols in cinema and predictive programming. One of the best ones of predictive programming for Trump or pr- prophetic vision, I guess you could call it for Trump, is the, the first Lego movie, which came out in, I believe, 2013, maybe 14, where there's a character known as Business, who is Donald Trump, and he becomes president business, who refers to his detractors as snowflakes. This episode is brought to you by my newsletter, Inner Sanctum. If you haven't signed on yet, it's real easy. Just go to my website, strangeplanet.ca, enter your name and email, and then you'll start receiving my free monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum, every month, delivered right to your email inbox. You'll also automatically qualify for a monthly draw for free Strange Planet merchandise. Again, Just go to strangeplanet.ca and register. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Wednesday. Robert W. Sullivan IV is here to discuss his obsession with occult symbols in cinema. He's written two books on the subject. He's a philosopher, historian, antiquarian, jurist, theologian, writer, and lawyer. 
He attended Gettysburg College in Pennsylvania. He earned his BA in history in 1995. Robert spent his entire junior year of college abroad at St. Catherine's College, Oxford University, studying European history and philosophy. Robert was a member of the Oxford Union, the Oxford University Conservative Association, and the Oxford Law Society. Upon returning to the United States in June of 1993, he took a year off from Gettysburg College to serve as office director of the Washington International Studies Council located on Capitol Hill. He's a Freemason, having joined Amicable St. John's Lodge No. 25, Baltimore, Maryland, and he became a 32nd-degree Scottish Rite Mason in 1999. Robert Sullivan, welcome back to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? Thank you, Richard, for having me back on. It's a pleasure to be here, and I look forward to the interview. Cinema Symbolism 1 and 2. Is there a third one in the works, by the way? Yes, there is. Cinema Symbolism 3 is complete. The book was originally scheduled for a late spring, early summer release of 2020. However, this has been pushed back a couple months because in early January of this year, in 2020, I watched two movies which I just felt I had to incorporate into the book, which were Joker and Midsommar, just because there was so much going on in those books. And uh, I just I decided, let me just push it back a little bit and, and do both those movies, analyze them in Cinema Symbolism 3. So I did that, and uh, I just actually finished it up, actually today, to believe it or not. And uh, that's it. I'm not adding any more movies, although I will say the director of Midsommar is a man named Ari Aster, and he has made another movie that came out in 2018 called Hereditary, and uh, I just watched that recently, and boy, oh boy, is uh, that thing uh, dark and overloaded with all kind of uh, demonic symbolism. Uh, It's about a demon. Very, very dark movie, and I would love to incorporate it, but I promise myself I will not push the book back any further. So Cinema Symbolism is three, and I am anticipating probably at this point a late summer, early fall release on it. You mentioned Midsommar. And yes. uh, this is a Scandinavian film, if I'm not mistaken. Well, it's set in Scandinavia. He's an American director. I believe that the urban scenes in the movie, the scenes that take place in the United States, were filmed, I believe, in Utah. And I know that the scenes that take place in Sweden were actually filmed in Hungary. But the movie is is set primarily in Sweden. It's a very bleak movie, uh, very, very dark, uh, lots of foreshadowing. It has become clear to me by watching those two movies that, that you can definitely throw Astor up there with people like Aronofsky or Guillermo de Toro or even Kubrick when it comes to using cinema as a medium to convey different messages, different meanings, to employ different symbolism. I think that's pretty clear cut at this point. So this couple, they travel to Sweden and they run into this pagan cult. Things become increasingly violent and bizarre. Is this an overtly anti-Christian movie or what is Astor trying to tell us? There is there is an anti-Christian element in in the movie. The story is about these group of students uh, who do, you're correct, they go to Sweden to participate in this pagan midsummer fire festival, essentially. And there there is an, a very anti-Christian theme in the movie because the girl's boyfriend name is Christian, of all things. And uh, he winds up uh, being burned alive in this uh, yellow pyramid as a sacrifice to the sun god at the very end of the movie. Uh, this is borrowing directly from The Wicker Man, which was a 1973 film, uh, where it's the same It's the same thing with it. this Christian uh, police officer goes into this uh, Scottish island to un- unknowingly investigate this pagan community. Um, not realizing that they are setting him up to be a human sacrifice to their sun god. Uh, and, and both movies 
both Midsommar and The Wicker Man come straight out of the pages of a book by a Scottish uh, anthropologist by the name of J.G. Frazier. The book is called The Golden Bough, and I believe it was published um, somewhere in in the mid to early 19th century. Excuse me, 20th century, last century, somewhere like 1940s, 1950s, somewhere in there. But the book is about comparative religion, comparative mythology, comparative magic. Uh, and, and he and, and Fraser gets into all the uh, pagan summer fire rituals, uh, summer festivals, uh, the maypole dancing, things like that. And you find this directly referenced in Midsommar and The Wicker Man as well. The other one that Ariaster did is uh, hereditary. And boy, oh boy, I mean, that's all about a demonic cult. Very, very reminiscent of Rosemary's Baby, where you have this family essentially being manipulated by this satanic cult. Uh, they're not aware of it, of course, uh, but it's a very, very dark film. Uh, both of them are. In Midsommar, they go to the Scandinavian, like you said, the Scandinavian Swedish pagan fire ceremony, not realizing that they are essentially being set up for human sacrifice, uh, which is essentially what happens. Both of them are very, very bleak movies. I mean, if if you like, if if the person out there listening likes the works of of, movies like Rosemary's Baby and Wicker Man and things like that, by all means, check out Ari Aster's movie. I'm wondering with Aster, if he's had any bad luck in his life, I'm thinking of all of the mishaps that occurred in Rosemary's Baby. Well, certainly that befell uh, Roman Polanski afterwards. We all know about the Sharon Tate murders. But even with The Omen, there were all sorts of mishaps on that film. Crew members dying mysteriously, plane crashes, etc. Anything like that happened with Ari Aster? Even The Exorcist had, had, had issues with it. I've heard interviews with Ari Aster. I, I know of no tragedy or anything that befell him. I can tell you that if you watch a movie like Hereditary, which was his 2018 movie, I mean, it, that, that movie is just, I mean, it's, it's just the, the tragedy that befalls this family. It's just, I mean, you think you're having a bad day. I mean, it's nothing compared to what these people go through. Um, but I mean, I, I can definitely relate that this guy knows what he is doing. I mean, for example, if you watch Hereditary, um, it's, it's all about this cult that worship this demonic cult that worships this demon uh, named Paimon. Um, and this demon comes straight out of the uh, Ars Goetia, the Lesser Key of Solomon by Crowley and Mathers. There's the most famous translation of it. And uh, he, he clearly is familiar with this book because he uses the sigil of Paimon in the movie repeatedly. The the symbol that associates with this particular demon is is displayed repeatedly throughout this movie. So I mean, he knows what he's doing. I mean, he is com- com- clearly familiar with the occult, with demonism, with demonology. I mean, and clearly when when you watch something like Midsommar, I mean, you can tell whether whether you agree with the message or don't like it or, or like it or don't like it. Um, I mean, he clearly knows what he is doing when he is using symbolism. I mean, he is fully versed in these pagan mythologies. I mean, there's a whole study. Um, I mean, these movies just have so many layers in them. In Hereditary, there's a whole symbolism, a whole story being told by these miniature dollhouses that the uh, one character is uh, making. Uh, Annie, who is played by um, is it Tony Collette, uh, who is in The Sixth Sense. Um, and then the same thing in Midsommar with Ari Aster. Um, he uses the Nordic runes and, and the runes associate with different things going on inside the movie. I mean, I know of no tragedies or anything. The one thing I can tell you is when I've watched Hereditary. I've watched both movies now several times. I mean, I remember when I was on with you last month on uh, Coast. I think I'd maybe see Joker once and Midsommar once. 
Um, I just acquired them both on Blu-ray. And uh, I mean, I've subsequently watched them numerous times over and over again. And with his two movies, with Hereditary and, and Midsommar, there is a particular diabolical theme, life force almost, that just exists or permeates the celluloid itself. You just really feel like you're watching. I even mentioned in, in the book, in Cinema Symbolism 3, I, said, I, I found this only in a couple other movies. Uh, one of them was The Exorcist, where you just felt like there was the devil was in the celluloid. Another movie was uh, The Black Cat, uh, with Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff. I mean, just an incredibly dark movie about necrophilia and devil worship. And I had the same vibe when I watched those movies that I had with Midsommar and Hereditary. And uh, my hat's off to him. Uh, the, the fact that he could generate such such just raw, a raw, raw nerve, strike a raw nerve with, with me and, and with so many film, film goers, uh, and just so dark. Maybe it's not hats off to the director. Maybe the devil really is in the celluloid. Uh, and what I mean by that is you mentioned these sigils and so forth. Maybe they, they do have power. Maybe he is channeling a demon. I think it's very possible because, I mean, like I said, when you watch something like Hereditary um, that is about this particular demon named Paimon, who is a king of hell, uh, you can um, get a copy of Ars Goetia. You can probably find this out all online. Um, I mean, he is a demon that can be summoned. And this entire movie is about, it, it's very reminiscent of Rosemary's Baby. It's, it's about this family essentially being manipulated by this satanic cult that is trying to place this demon, uh, Paimon, into a human being. And yeah, I, I do think that there is something demonic about the movie. Uh, I don't think you will become possessed by watching it, but I do think that there, like I said, there is a particular eeriness and creepiness in that movie that you just don't see replicated. You see, for me, I wouldn't want to bring that into my house. I, For me, I, a movie should be uplifting or beautiful or I, I guess I, I don't have that that taste for the doom and gloom and certainly nothing demonic but you mentioned Paimon and the and the sigil is that the demon that a Crowley tried to 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 bind when he was summoning them in a Boliskin house up on the Loch Ness uh, back uh Whenever that yeah, was, the 30s? Back, yeah, back in the day. Um, uh, the, the magic that Crowley was practicing at, at Bullskin House, which I don't know if you're aware of this, has burnt to the ground, by the way. Um, yes, I heard. That was yeah. Jimmy Page's old uh, haunt as well. He bought yeah, that. Yeah, it was his old haunt. And according to Page, it was haunted. Um, surprise, surprise. The rites that Crowley was performing at Bullskin was the rites of Abramel and the Mage, uh, which is uh, Ars Goetia-like uh, summoning rituals where you are trying to essentially conjure your guardian angel to gain occult esoteric wisdom. And this is where really Crowley um, gets his negative reputation because part of the Abramelin rites are the conjuring and binding of these demons in hell. I cannot remember if Paimon is one of them, uh, but I mean, it's, it's definitely demons that you've heard of, such as, uh, you know, Belial, uh, Balbareth, Lucifuge, Rofacal. Uh, these are demons that, um, you know, are, 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 are necessary to be summoned and bound in order to further conjure your, your guardian angel. Um, the, in the Ars Goetia, if you get the, the modern copy of it, the, the most common copy of it is the McGregor Mathers 
Aleister Crowley, you know, translation of Ars Goetia, the Lesser Key of Solomon with the 72 demons. Paimon is in there. And don't hold me to this, but I believe there is actually in the book a drawing of Paimon uh, done by Aleister Crowley, according to Crowley's account when he did conjure the demon. Um, and I think Crowley does give a, a you know a drawing of what the demon looks like, and the the drawing in the book resembles a drawing of the demon in in the movie. And yeah, I, I I'm with you. I like uplifting movies as well, but I am a horror fan. Crowley is actually referenced also in the movie. Throughout throughout the movie, there are these little demonic words or quotes that are written on the wall um, and they just appear they just miraculously appear they're shown to you i mean you know when you watch the movie you'll see them and uh one of them is actually alistair crowley's daughter's name zaza which is a um also part of a summoning ritual is also so you'll have a direct reference to crowley when you watch hereditary bolskin house which we mentioned was later purchased by jimmy page and according to the legend crowley did this summoning ritual and then he was suddenly called away to Paris, and the legend says that he didn't properly bind the uh, whatever he summoned, and uh, they were sort of let loose. And as you mentioned, the place was supposedly haunted. There were a number of tragedies that befell some of the people that worked at Bolskin House when Crowley was there. I think there was uh, the uh, the manager or the gardener, never known to drink a day in his life. Suddenly he started drinking and he, I think he killed his wife and child or something like that. There was just a string of these incidents. Jimmy Page supposedly called the uh, the other members of Led Zeppelin over to the house and they, they did some sort of a ritual. They wanted to ensure their, their future success. The only one who refused to take part in the ritual was the bass player, John Paul Jones. And of course, the other three members, John Bonham, of course, died. Jimmy Page would develop a, a terrible drug addiction. Robert Plant was involved in several near-fatal accidents and then his son died tragically at a very young age. What do you think of all of that? I think that I have never summoned a demon or practiced ritual magic, but in my years of researching it, um, the one thing that is critical that is if you are a magician and you stand inside a magic circle to conjure a demon, and if the demon appears, the one thing that is absolutely critical in all this is that whenever the ritual ends, you have to give this demon a license to depart. Uh, you have to basically get rid of it, essentially tell it to go, go away. It's, it's known as what's called the license to depart. If this is not done, this demon then is given the exact opposite, is now given license to stick around, essentially. And once you step out of that magic circle and that demon is sticking around, at that point in time, uh, all bets are off. Um, and this thing is free to do whatever it wants. And essentially, you see this again. I don't want to keep talking about the movie, but you actually see this again in the movie Hereditary, where they summon this demon unknowingly. They actually perform a seance and this demon manifests and the one the mother winds up becoming possessed by this thing. You know, they, they, these people are basically are swindled into doing this. They don't know what they're doing. They think they're talking to their dead daughter um, and they're not they're not aware that they're actually conjuring this demon. Um, and of course, you know, this is incredible. You know, as you've pointed out, this I mean, can have incredibly uh, negative uh, side effects um, if, if you don't do this properly. I mean, even even if um you know, I mean, the, the one the one thing that, that again, it, it's almost like a reversal of it, that if you are preparing to conjure a demon, you haven't conjured it yet. You have to do what is called the lesser banishing ritual, the banishing, banishing ritual, of the pentagram, where you essentially cleanse the area before you summon a demon. You have to rid the area of all negative energy. 
you, you can find this ritual in pretty much any grimoire or magic book. Uh, so um, this is a very um, dangerous territory if people toy around with this stuff and don't know what they're doing. I have been on other interviews and I've been asked repeatedly if I've ever tried any of this. And my answer is emphatically, no, I haven't. Uh, I would never try any of this because I just believe in my heart. I, I believe in it and I believe it's too dangerous to meddle with. Is there any danger of opening yourself up to any of this by simply watching the movies, these occultic <laughs> These occultic symbols, or this even this demonic, uh, this demonology that's portrayed in these mo- movies. I think the answer to that question is somewhat subjective. I think people can be influenced by these negative, you know, or, you know, negative, you know, on a negative, you know, n- negative. Um, they can be affected. Uh, for example. Um, I mean, many of the people, I mean, back in the day when The Exorcist came out, had nervous breakdowns over this movie. Um, So whether or not, I mean, this was psychological or perhaps a spiritual force at work is debatable. You know, depending on the person and the psychology of the person, a person can be susceptible to this stuff. I mean, there there are numerous uh, reports that when The Exorcist came out, people fainting in the theater, people having nervous breakdowns over it. I mean, in, in fact, again, uh, again, this is again, I don't want to, you know, I just keep finding myself coming back to this um, in the movie Hereditary um, for it, it, they, they actually get into the idea that in order for the demon to manifest um, and take possession of a person, the person has to be in a weakened condition. Uh, so, you know, the idea that these movies break you down psychologically and wear you out, I mean, it, you know, isn't of itself a form of perhaps black magic that is opening you up to negative feelings, negative anxieties, uh, fears, uh, things like that. So, I mean, a movie can be very powerful now, whether this power, I mean, this power could be coming from the world of the demonic world. It could be just coming from the you know creator's imagination. But I think when you're dealing with some, not all these movies, but when you're dealing with, you know, some movies, like I said, the ones that just come to my mind are like The Black Cat with Karloff and Lugosi, um, The Exorcist, the two Ari Aster movies. There is a particular uh, demonic presence in that movie that you do not see in many other films. Hi there. I want to tell you about a podcast I know you're going to love. It's called The Dead Files from Travel Channel. On The Dead Files, Amy Allen and Steve DeShavi investigate the paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the United States. Amy and Steve come from totally different perspectives when they investigate. Amy's a medium. She sees and speaks to dead people and uses this skill to find out why someone might be haunting a place. Steve is a retired homicide detective. He tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of the haunted location. On every episode, Steve and Amy investigate a different, real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects. On one episode in Falconer, New York, a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They also see a shadow figure lurking around their home. They call Amy and Steve to investigate. Amy uses her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry. Separately, Steve finds out the history of the house from the townspeople and in public records. He finds that several people who lived in this house died, which matches Amy's findings. At the end of the episode, Steve and Amy share their findings and make a recommendation on whether it's safe to stay in the house or time to get out. There are so many crazy stories on the dead files. And what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. You listen to my podcast because you love tales of the paranormal. But if you want more... Listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. The highly anticipated second season of the hit podcast Proof is finally here. Proof is an investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here. Proof made headlines for its first season in 2022 after proving the innocence of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend Brian Bowling when they were just 17 years old. 25 years later, on December 8, 2022, both men were finally freed based on evidence unearthed by Proof. In the second season of Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, this time traveling the streets of Manteca, California, to uncover who really murdered 18-year-old Rene Ramos. On June the 5th, 2000, Ramos's body was found buried under a pile of debris inside the shell of a new Home Depot building. Despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, tips that were ignored until now, Renee's boyfriend, 18-year-old skateboarder Jake Silva, and Ty Lopez, the 33-year-old uncle of one of Jake's close friends, were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. More of my conversation with Robert W. Sullivan IV when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. There's so much more than tea at GetTheTea.com. Take, for example, Astaxanthin Max, the most potent antioxidant blend in the world. Astaxanthin is able to cross the blood-brain barrier and the blood-retinal barrier and concentrate in the retinal macula. Astaxanthin is up to 550 times stronger than vitamin E and 10 times more potent than beta-carotene. With its unique blend of astaxanthin, vitamin C, bilberry leaf, tomato extract, and vitamin B12, astaxanthin max is quickly becoming the eye healthcare supplement of choice. Get your bottle of astaxanthin max at getthetea.com. And don't forget to use the code UNLIMITED on all your orders. Then you don't pay for shipping. Astaxanthin max for your eyes at getthetea.com. Richard has tiny talking insects living in his sock drawer. We have bags and we are living in Richard's sock drawer. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Robert Sullivan is here. What is the, the purpose of putting some of these little Easter eggs in these movies? I mean, you, you watch them repeatedly. You'll, you'll sometimes put it uh, you know, on pause and go frame by frame to find these things. 
What is the purpose of the director? Why is he doing that? It's it's multi-layered. Um, a lot of times it's it's to build a mythology. A lot of times it's to it's attention to detail. A lot of times it's to reference other things um, and and just show you know that the 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 movie is is artwork. Um, sometimes it's to reinforce a mythology. Um, like for example. The one movie that I added uh, to Cinema Symbolism 3 was the Todd Phillips movie Joker. Um, And that movie is so exhaustive because, and I'm not kidding you when I say this, there is almost something going on in every uh, scene in that movie. Um, And they're just little nuances, but it like builds on the Gotham City. Uh, I mean, there's there's an alchemical storyline going on in that with with this character Fleck, Arthur Fleck, played by Phoenix, who just won the Oscar, being transforming into the Joker. So we have an alchemical element. We're dealing with Batman mythology. So we're dealing with a ton of, you know, hidden little Easter eggs regarding, you know, the criminals of Batman, for example. Uh, I mean, I mean, this is very subtle. Uh, If you, when you watch Joker, um, and it'll go right by you uh, when, when Fleck is in the clown makeup and he shoots the, the Wall Street Thomas Wayne uh, employees on the subway train um, and the third the third employee or the third yuppie is is trying to escape and he's trying to go up the steps uh, Fleck shoots him he kills him and then he runs runs out of the subway station uh, if you watch this very closely uh, the station stop is Robinson Park um, it, it flashes by in a minute you you can never pick up on it um, well if you know anything about Gotham City and you know anything about the Batman Batman mythology uh, you should recognize Robinson Park is where um, it's, it's a park in the poor part of uh, Gotham uh, this is where Catwoman lives Selena Kyle um, her apartment borders uh, Robinson Park so we have a little Catwoman reference a little Easter egg there um, and again when you watch this movie, when you watch Joker, and I'm not kidding you when I say this, there's literally things like this going on in every scene of the movie, whether it's um, references to, I mean, we have references to uh, The Man Who Laughs with Conrad Veet, uh, who Conrad Veet was the physical inspiration for the Joker. We have a reference to the Conrad Veet movie, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Um, again, this is a movie that starred Veet, who was the physical um uh, inspiration for the Joker. So, I mean, we just had this entire, um, movie being crafted with all this mythology, this alchemical storyline. I mean, and it's really uh, a form of mythology. I mean, it's modern day, it's pop culture mythology that these guys are building and these guys are creating when they employ this little, these little occult nuances or Easter eggs, it just adds to it. Um, and, and some of it is, is, you know, we've talked about this before. I mean, some of it can be very sinister. I mean, where you get into things that are prophetic or, or predictive programming or synchronization. I mean, there's, there's one great one in Joker that is just very hard to, um, rationalize. You have, I I don't know if you've seen the movie or not. No, Um, no, I haven't. No. Okay. When you watch it, um, I know you're in Canada, but of course you're from, you get American news. I'm sure the the character of Thomas Wayne, uh, they, they change it a little bit around the time. If you, if you watch Joker and if you're here in America, the character of Thomas Wayne, who is Bruce Wayne's father, who is of course Batman, um, is portrayed as a Donald Trump analog. Um, he's trying to save Gotham city. Um, I mean, he's trying to save the lower classes from themselves. I mean, he's clearly based upon, uh, Donald Trump. I mean, this is irrefutable. I mean, you know, when you watch it, you say, oh, that's supposed to be Donald Trump. Um, and this movie was filmed back in 2018. Uh, Joker, Joker, I believe, was filmed 
um, in September, um, I believe through September through December of 18. And when you watch, when you watch it, when you watch the movie, which was released in 19, um, it was released during the height of the Trump impeachment thing with the Ukrainian scandal. Um, when you watch the movie, um, there's actually a newspaper that flashes by real quick uh, that says um, something like like photos of the disaster in Ukraine. Ah. Um, and I found, that, I found that very interesting that here's this movie featuring this Donald Trump character. And here we have a reference to Ukraine in it. Um, now, in the movie, I think this has to do with the Chernobyl meltdown of uh, the nuclear reactor. But that's still unca- uncanny that you would have the mention of Ukraine next to this Donald Trump character approximately a year before he was being impeached over something regarding Ukraine. Very interesting to me. I mean, I just find that just so fascinating and almost so next to impossible to believe. I mean, that it's just so it's so remarkable that it just defies explanation. Donald Trump often pops up as the subject in examples of predictive programming. We've talked about this before on The Simpsons. They predicted he would be president. There are the uh, the books about Baron Trump that were written in the 19th century, The Adventures of Baron Trump. You know, this name-calling individual from New York who lived in Trump Tower and so forth. And that, again, this is over 100 well, I years better, ago. Well, I got a better, there's a better one than all of those. One of the best ones of predictive programming for Trump or pr- prophetic vision, I guess you could call it for Trump, is the, the first Lego movie, which came out in, I believe, 2013, maybe 14. It may even have been 2012. It's the very first one um, where there's a character known as, uh, you know, business, who is Donald Trump, and he becomes president business, who refers to his detractors as snowflakes. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, this is back in, this is back in 2013. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's 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 uncanny. I mean, and then you even have the um, the Back to the Future Part Two with the Biff Tannen character who becomes this, you know, dictator like character who is also based on Donald Trump. So um, and then, of course, as I think we talked about last time, you have the whole idea is is, is Trump a time traveler? Um, you know, does, has he somehow accessed uh, time travel through the work of his uncle, John, John Trump, through the uh, Nikola Tesla uh, technology? Right. Uh, who knows? I mean, you know, I mean, I'm open to anything at this point in time. <laughs> just a recent example, and it's not from cinema, but it was just pointed out recently with the coronavirus that author Dean Kuntz, back in 1981, a, a book called Eyes of Darkness, uh, wrote about this mysterious virus. He even named, he named it, I think, Wuhan 400 or something. He named the virus... This is 1981. He talks about it being the perfect weapon because it affects only humans. It can't survive outside the human body for more than a minute. He said it would mysteriously disappear and then come back again in 2030. I think he actually named 2020 as the date that it would it would happen. Unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable. And there's another one with Trump that's equal, equally as weird. And I think it's from back in 2011. Trump made a, a television commercial uh, with sort of mattresses and the, um, the, the, ad, the advertisement involves him buying mattresses for his hotels so people will fall asleep quickly. And he's talking to uh, the sheep. The sheep is animated, has a, you know, is talking like a human. And the sheep is worried that it's going to be put out on the street. That's going to be unemployed because people will be falling asleep quickly in his hotel room on these new mattresses. And Trump says, no, 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 don't worry about it. I got a job for you. And basically he, he goes out in the hallway and he has the sheep standing guard in front of the doors, basically like keeping watch. And there are numbers on the sheep. Um, and the two numbers on the sheep are 11 and 9. 
um, which is November 9th, which is, of course, the day he became president, November 9th, 2016. So go figure. Another example of predictive programming that's recently in the news was after the death of Kobe Bryant in this horrible, fiery helicopter crash, along with his his young daughter and uh, seven other people. It came to light that there was a cartoon called Legends of Chamberlain Heights. It was it was carried on Comedy Central, I think. They actually had to pull the episode that was uh, produced back in, I don't know, 2012 or something, which depicted Kobe Bryant dying in a fiery helicopter crash. That's right. I mean, that's absolutely right. I think the show was from, I think it was a little later than that. I think it was from like either 2016 or 2017. Uh, You're absolutely right. It's called The Legend of Chamberlain Heights. It's a cartoon series on Comedy Central that depicts Kobe Bryant, exactly as you said, dying in a fiery helicopter crash. You could write an entire book, I think, just on predictive programming. Any thought given to that? Yeah, I mean, I talk about it in, in in all my books. I mean, I, you know, whether you call it predictive programming or movies as prof, prof, prophecy or synchronization of some kind. I mean, yeah, there's. Um, I mean, there's. You know, you, you can get into the whole nine eleven um, motifs. Uh, you know, prior to the event. I mean, some some of them are, are harmless. Um, there's a character. There was a movie. I think I, I can't remember if I mentioned this on your show or not. There was a, a movie that came out in the early 1980s. Um, it was a Gene Wilder movie starring Gilda Radner. I forget the name of it right now. Um, but the Gene Wilder character is a character named Michael Jordan. Uh, and he was from Chicago, Illinois. And the movie was released about eight, eight about I think about 18 months before Michael Jordan um, was drafted by the Chicago Bulls. Um, and then there was another one. Um, the movie uh, there was a movie that was released in 1979 called The China Syndrome which is about a nuclear reactor meltdown, which came out, I believe, about two weeks before the Three Mile Island incident. Movies becoming prophecy is a phenomenon that I think we are just beginning to scratch the surface of, and that is a subject matter that I believe cannot just be scoffed at as coincidence or anything like that. It's, it's too, it happens too much. Uh, for it to just be written off or anything. There are too many examples of this where a movie predicts something pretty accurate and it's usually recent. I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, it's not like the movie predicted it 50 years ago or you, you do see that occasionally, but it's usually almost right up until the incident that something, you know, was shown in a movie or whatever that happened spot on. So, yeah, I mean, I think you're well beyond the coincidence uh, stage with a lot of this stuff. Can a film succeed without this, the implanted symbolism? Yeah, it, it can. You, 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 there are some very great movies out there uh, that have been boxed off as successes, um, which I like very much, um, that are pretty, you know, devoid of symbol. I'll call it symbolism. I mean, they may have a little pop culture reference in it or something like that here and there. Um, I mean, I look to a movie like Reservoir Dogs by Quentin Tarantino, um, which I think is a very good movie. I think it was very profitable. Uh, certainly has developed a cult following. Um, but you watch it. I don't think you're going to find anything too alarming in it. I mean, it's violent. Uh, I mean, it's super violent. But I don't think you're going to find any, you know, occult um, symbols in it or anything like that. It's a movie I've watched numerous times. Um, same thing with Pulp Fiction, a movie I like very much. But, you know, on its surface, I mean, it's pretty – I mean, you, you can have some fan theories about it as to what's in the briefcase and stuff like that. Uh, but, um, you know, I think pretty straightforward movie, uh, not really uh, – too much, uh, you know, when it comes to the occult uh, going on in um, 
in, in, in that movie. And then you can have um, a Christian uh, symbolism uh, being used in movies that is, is buried beneath the surface. Uh, we take a look at movies. I mean, it doesn't all have to be demonic. Uh, we take a look at the uh, spaghetti Western movies of uh, Sergio Leone. Uh, these are the, you know, the Dollars trilogy with Clint Eastwood, uh, the man with no name, uh, the fistful of dollars for a few dollars more, and of course, the good, the bad, and the ugly. The, these three movies veil, veil, excuse me, veil very deep Christian uh, themes in them. Um, Leone was a devout Roman Catholic growing up, and uh, you will find a very strong Christian God versus the devil uh, theme uh, prevalent in all three of those movies. And, and this is a theme, uh, this Christian theme uh, carries forward. Uh, another Catholic filmmaker, uh, Martin Scorsese, um, employs almost the exact same techniques that Leone used in the Spaghetti Western films in a movie that he made called uh, The Gangs of New York, um, where you will clearly see this whole idea of the Jesus figure versus the devil figure, um, where they're battling essentially for the soul of New York City um, in Gangs of New York. So, you know, you have the Christian imagery, uh, you know, contained in movies as well, uh, hidden in movies as well. Um, so, uh, you know, to be fair and balanced about it, it's not necessarily all demonic. If you had to pick one movie that was the holy grail of films containing symbolism, occult or otherwise, what would it be? Boy, that's a really that's really a, a tough question to answer. The one movie that kind of jumps off the screen to me more than that, that I just think there's so much going on in that movie. I mean, there's, there's a couple of them. The one that comes to mind right off the bat would be Black Swan by Darren Aronofsky. Uh, that, that is a very dark, very symbolic movie. Um, I, I, I like Kubrick's use of repetition in The Shining. Uh, that's a very symbolic movie. You have the Matrix films, especially the first movie that contains the Gnostic religion in it or the Gnostic theology in it. Uh, very symbolic as well. The one that just came out, Joker by Todd Phillips, is loaded uh, with hidden symbols in it and Easter eggs. Like I said, that's such an exhaustive study because you have something literally going on almost in every scene. So just off the top of my head, I mean, in the Ari Aster movies as well, um, the two Hereditary and Midsommar, very symbolic in movies. Those are the ones that just kind of jump immediately to, to, to into my head. But there are others, make no mistake about it. I don't know to what extent you write about synchronicity in, in film, but there's the classic example of if you queue up the movie The Wizard of Oz to the final lion roar, the, uh, the MGM lion roar, and you queue that up to, I guess it's side one of Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd, and you turn the sound down on the movie, you get all these wonderful synchronous alignments between the soundtrack or the, uh, the album and the movie. Do you write about that at all, or what do you think about it? I, I, yeah, I, I actually mentioned that in the first book I wrote, in the first movie book I wrote about the whole thing with Dark Side of the Moon. I have never personally tried it or attempted it. I've got both sides of the argument. I've talked to people who tell me it works spot on. I've worked. I've talked to people who have told me it's total hogwash and it doesn't stink at all. So I've never tried it. So I can't tell you one way or another whether it works or not. Uh, but, you know, I do get into the whole idea of synchronization. Um, I do talk about it in regards to certain celebrities, how certain themes uh, seem to be surrounding people 
you know, whether this is supernatural or not, I don't know, but it's synchronized. I mean, like, for example, um, the nexus between uh, Elvis and the sun god Apollo um, in, in, in the first movie book um, and how uh, G, uh, excuse me, how Elvis is sort of an Apollonian uh, solar figure and that how the sun surrounds Elvis throughout his, his entire life. It's quite extraordinary. And um, again, like another one would be Houdini, the magician. Houdini was born uh, 26 years before the turn of the 20th century and died uh, 26 years after the turn of the century. Add 26 plus 26, you get the number 52, which is, of course, the number of cards in a deck, which is, of course, the uh, in supreme instrument of a magician. So what was Houdini? A magician. So you have these little nuances going on with people that kind of are, are, are unexplainable, that are supernatural, that are synced. Uh, Carl Jung talked about this, the psychiatrist, who said that, that it's essentially a supernatural phenomenon that can't be explained. And why it's going on, we don't know. But it is going on. So this is something I definitely explore in my books as well. Um, That's also a very uh, fascinating subject. Cinema Symbolism 1 and 2 and soon to be Cinema Symbolism 3. And of course, prior to that, we had the Royal Arch of uh, Enoch. And where can we get all of these fine books, Robert? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Thank you, Richard, for having me on Conspiracy Unlimited. It was my pleasure to be here. And uh, when the third when the next movie book is out, I'll contact you and we'll do this all over again. The books are available through all the major online retailers, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, Books a Million. Uh, They are available in the print edition if you want that. Uh, You can get the ebook version. They are obviously a lot less expensive. All my books are available right now online. Um, There are links to buy my books and all, all, you know, on all these forms on my website, which is my name. Uh, my website is www.robertwsullivaniv.com. IV for the letter four. Robertwsullivaniv.com. Links to buy the books, links to my social media. Fantastic. Can't wait for Cinema Symbolism 3. And uh, we'll talk again soon, Robert. All the best. Okay. okay. Thank you, Richard. Thank you for having me on. Okay. Before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a moment to fill you in on an upcoming episode. I want to tell you about something I discovered recently called Carbon 60. I call it the Miracle Molecule. Now, you might remember an interview I did recently with a researcher, Chris Burris, who's looking to help people who experience pain, inflammation, loss of sleep, or lost mental acuity with his new C60 company, C60Evo.com. He has a product which is a consumable form of Carbon 60 called ESS60 that's been proven in peer-reviewed, published research to extend the lifespan of test rats by 90% while allowing them to live tumor-free. That's pretty amazing. Those rats were given the C60evo.com formula. The formula is a powerful antioxidant 172 times more powerful than vitamin C, and it's known to be a powerful anti-inflammatory. C60 is based on Nobel Prize winning chemistry. I highly recommend ESS60. The mighty Aphrodite and I take a tablespoon every morning, and we're both pain-free and sleeping better than ever. Discover the benefits of Carbon 60. I call it the miracle molecule, ESS60 from c60evo.com. Now, make sure to use the coupon code RS1SPEC. That's RS1SPEC. Buy today at c60evo.com. That's c60evo.com. 
And don't forget the code RS1SPEC. This product has not been assessed by the FDA and is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your healthcare provider. Coming up next time, COVID-19, the coronavirus. Is it the apocalypse or a major psyop? A patient was tested five times. Four times with the normal test, he tested negative. The fifth test was with a CT scan and he was tested positive. So they missed it. So the, the accuracy of this is very, very haphazard. You know, it's, it's my, you might as well just you know, get some type of amulet or something like that and see where it spins in the dark. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.